Coming up in this episode, the war against the Islamic State in Iraq. At one of the most difficult times in our history, Iraq has no ambassador here in Washington at this point. We'll speak to the former ambassador and find out why. I felt that the influence uh, I could have had uh, was not best utilized. I didn't want to, to, to have an easy job. I was after a, a job where I can contribute to our, yeah. to our society at this difficult time, as you may appreciate. And we'll talk with Luke Wintfiley about the conflict that lay ahead to reclaim Mosul and the rest of Iraq from the Islamic State group. That's coming up on Target USA. The National Security Podcast. Target USA is brought to you by TrueCar. There's something about TrueCar a lot of people don't know about. Using TrueCar can help you buy a used car. In fact, there are more than 500,000 pre-owned vehicles available from TrueCar certified dealers nationwide. Whether you're looking to buy new or used, you can get upfront pricing that empowers, discounts off the list price for used cars, and a better buying experience through the True Car Certified Dealer Network. You'll see what other people paid for the car you want, so you can know what a fair price is and feel confident. With True Car, you can connect with a certified local dealer of your choosing, so you can enjoy a quick, easy buying experience. Using the True Car website or the True Car app, you can easily find the new or used car you want. You can get a guaranteed savings certificate from a True Car certified dealer. And also, you can connect with a local True Car certified dealer of your choosing. True Car users save an average of $3,279 off MSRP. So when you're ready to buy new or used, visit TrueCar.com or download the True Car app to enjoy a better car buying experience. Some features are not available in all states. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. San Bernardino. An act of terrorism. Paris. An attack on all of humanity. The Islamic State. I'm back, Obama. They want you to imagine them in the shadows. Hostile nation states. Can inflict mortal damage to the United States. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. Two years after the Islamic State group, or Daesh, as Iraqis call it, blasted into power, stealing hundreds of millions of dollars, taking over the country's second largest city of Mosul and other territory, killing tens of thousands of people, and injecting fear into the fabric of a country still traumatized after al-Qaeda's reign in the 2000s, an operation to end the nightmare is underway. The U.S. is leading a major coalition. But oddly enough, there is no sitting ambassador in Washington at this point. Farid Yazin, who served the government in France, is on his way, but is not here yet. But we did speak with the former ambassador, Lukeman Filey, about why he's no longer ambassador and about the challenge that faces Iraq as it tries to eliminate the Islamic State group, or Daesh, from its country. Ambassador, so you just said you're no longer the ambassador. 
Um, I'm not. I'm, I've, I've uh, decommissioned and I'm, I've uh, applied for early retirement, but that's still ongoing. I mean, I'm, I'm literally in between jobs at this moment, but I'm not an official of the government any longer. What was the reason for leaving? Retirement? No, no, it wasn't. I mean, the retirement was was more or less like the formal way out rather than a political statement being made. So that's the easiest way or the softest way of leaving out the government. Primarily, I felt that uh, it's a time of, of the my age where I need, if I need a new career, I should choose it now. Uh, and also that I, I felt that the influence uh, I could have had uh, was not best utilized. Uh, so to that effect, I didn't want to, to, to have a sort of what you might call a, an easy job. I was after a, a, a job where I can contribute to our, yeah. to our society at this difficult time, as you may appreciate. Well, having sat down and spoken with you on numerous occasions and come away each time with uh, the satisfaction of understanding better some very difficult and tough issues, I can certainly say you had a lot more to contribute than than perhaps you were allowed. And I understand your concern about that. Um, it's it's too bad that you're not there. At any rate, um, you are here now with us, and I'd like to talk to you about some tough issues. Is that okay? Please do. First and foremost, what do you make of this offensive in Mosul right now? Well, it's for the Iraqis, they, they want to mentally feel that the Islamic State, Daesh or ISIS, no longer have control of territory and a formal end to the Khilafah or the, 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 the rule, which the religious rule they wanted to enforce on. So that the Iraqis is a mental closure of getting rid of ISIS once and for all, specifically from large cities and towns, and formally destroy the myth of Khilafah which they tried to project in Iraq and in the region. Yeah. So what do you what do you make of the strategy? The 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 we've been hearing about the this plan to 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 retake and liberate Mosul for a long time since so you were still in office when this started. Yes. So and how do you assess this? It's you have to bear in mind that Mosul is is it is one of the the complicated or cosmopolitan towns or cities in Iraq. Although Iraq in itself is uh, somewhat cosmopolitan, Mosul is 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 the, the 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 key town where literally all the minorities and the diversities, ethno-sectarian, uh, nationalism, na- nations or nationals, uh, diversity as well. So to that effect, it's uh, a unique city where it's not homogeneous and it requires all the stakeholders would like to have a play part in its liberation. It's not just for moral uh, moral reason. It's more for political gain and projection of power thereafter as well. So everybody, every stakeholder, want to to show and to be to have a seat at the table in how should Iraq be developed and ruled thereafter. And speaking of the importance of Mosul, how was Daesh able to take control of that key important city? Politically, the the city did fell to ISIS or to non-government forces way before uh, ISIS were able to militarily secure it. It was more or less a, a city where during day daytime the government was able to move around. During the nights, the the 
those who were against the government, it wasn't just ISIS, it were the coalition of, uh, they called themselves resistance, or they were uh, to the government, were able to extract money, were able to uh, have some kind of uh, ability to govern or influence and, and put people at hostage. So it was already politically not uh, what you might call cohesive for the government. And uh, also the scale of corruption within the army and within the apparatus of the government itself did uh, expedite and facilitated for the, the fall of Mosul. It was what I might call a house of cards. Um, that was all. It wasn't an actual house. It was a house of mm -hmm. cards. So all you needed is just to pull one card and everything else collapsed. And that one card was pulled, and it did collapse, and it's more than two years now since that took place. And you were inside the government watching as this process began. And um, what do you think was the government's key mistake internally? Well, I think it's, it's a U.S. and Iraqi government mistakes. And you have to bear in mind, that for, for me, some of, some of the frustration was that I knew about these uh, situations few months even before it took place, because you could project it and you could see it and you could read it and all the reports and others clearly indicated the projection of ISIS or Daesh or non-government uh, entities controlling part of the country. So they were already in Fallujah back in late in December and January 2014. So, so to me, that was part of the frustration. The U.S. and the Iraqis were at fault. No single entity could, should say that it, they were uh, sort of not, not uh, they, they played all they can. And unfortunately, they didn't. The U.S. did not. Uh, the Iraqis government also did not. And therefore, the fall, to me, it wasn't just a, a town failing or a few towns. It was that minorities were uprooted. And ethnicities were endangered. Historical cities were destroyed. So to me, it's a somewhat irreversible damage to the identity, character of Iraq, and also to human history because of the richness of those parts of the world. You mentioned the U.S. is partly at fault for this, um, but... Big time, big time, I would say. Okay, Not so let's, let's, let's break it down then for a moment. This, the, the, the war in Iraq was over. Iraq was, again, a sovereign country. The U.S., I believe, tried to maintain a relationship, but not overstepping its bounds. So I'd like it if you would just explain to us how the U.S. made a mistake in that process. You see, in 2003, uh, the U.S., when they entered Iraq as the liberators and then formally declared it as an occupation, when they went to the U.N. and got the sanctioned by the UN for their occupation. Thereafter, the US did manage Iraq. They literally governed it in all walk of life. It wasn't just the central government. I'm talking about municipals, governments, ministries, uh, local councils, and so on. So, it, they, there was, so the US did reconstruct Iraq in its current political structure and defined uh, rule of law, democracy, liberal markets, constitution, and others. So it was all under the governance of the United States. Specifically, in addition to that, building the army and everything else. When the troops left 
in 2011. It was primarily because President Obama made a declaration in 2008 that the troops will leave and so on. So there was a, a pledge to the U.S. Uh, at the election. I understand that. But at the same time, in 2011, Iraq did not have a single fighter plane when the U.S. left. And Iraq did already face terrorism. There was already problems at the border with Syria. There was problems controlling the border and so on. So to that effect, the U.S. cannot disengage itself as and when it wants without due consideration to the ramification to the society that they occupied and they control and or they liberated. And also the Iraqis, they also had made major mistakes in accepting the U.S. departure without due consideration to the security of the state thereafter. So to that effect, I think both have made mistakes. Both were looking for scapegoats or looking for excuse not to, to have that engaged relationship. And I think we all pay the price. Security of the region, security of the United States, reputation of the United States, and in addition, the devastation of Iraq and the minorities, as I mentioned earlier, which ISIS has targeted as well. I hear you loud and clear. The U.S. broke it, but it did not finish fixing it after it was over. Uh, they, they felt that uh, they have no legal responsibility. In fact, they had ethical, they had, uh, I would say, somewhat historical responsibility. And certainly as a superpower, you do need to keep being engaged because of the role you want to play, uh, UN Security Council and everything else, plus the, the, the region itself is a hotspot in relation to global geopolitics. Mm -hmm. So to that effect, you cannot pick and choose when you can leave without due consideration to its ramification and the responsibilities. So as, uh, to me, that question is still there. Uh, I still, I, I raised a question not so long ago when I was in the US, only a few weeks ago, and that was to the senior official uh, on, on the record where I said, could you give me a projection of the relationship in three to five years? And he wasn't able to do that. So to me, I think that the US still don't have a clear strategy of what's in its engagement in Iraq and in the region. And more so, it's a fight against ISIS. Uprooting it, yes, but you, you are, what about the root causes of the problem? Mm -hmm. Will they be willing to invest in getting rid of that? Otherwise, the ramification to the global geopolitics will still be there. Okay, and speaking of uh, the global threat, um, today the assault on Mosul has begun several days ago, more than a week ago. Uh, and by all accounts, it supposedly is going well. Give me your view on how you think it's going. I think the military side is spot on. Every stakeholders, whether there are tribes, government, non-government, uh, popular mobilization forces, uh, Kurdish Peshmerga, and others have all playing their parts, know where they are, has this clear coordination. United States is playing a major role in coordinating and providing aerial support and other type of technical supports. So to that effect, I'm, I'm not worried about the military side. It is a tenacious campaign by the nature, by the viciousness of ISIS, by their ability to think outside the box and use human shields and other type of destruction of properties and human lives without disregard. So to that effect, with all that taken into consideration, I'm somewhat happy 
uh, and content with the military side. It will not be easy, but it is doable. And Iraqis have already made determination that they would want to annihilate ISIS once and for all from the major cities. However, the key question is, this is a turning point in the history of the country, in this, new, in this recent history. And hence, my concern is that the politics may not be fully aligned with the security and the military development. So to me, that requires major dialogue between the stakeholders and support from the US and other countries, including Iran. That's uh, somewhat missing or somewhat still lacking, but the politicians are trying to catch up and make sure. The key question we have is, will we have to pay extra cost in prolonged war and other insecurity as a result of this lack of uh, homework in the day after scenario? Or will, will Iraqis be able to stand up to it in due time with minimum and efficient way of getting rid of ISIS and rebuilding their country? Mm -hmm. Now let's talk a little bit about the, the, the actual process that's underway now, some of the tactical military uh, issues on the table now. The Islamic State group has been digging, as I understand it, tunnels and building bunkers underground for a couple of years now. And you are no longer in the intelligence loop there uh, with the Iraqi government, but you were there for a while and you were aware of uh, some of the activities based on the intelligence reports. Give us a sense of how significant you think that underground construction is in terms of their command and control. It, the, the numbers are fewer uh, than they were a few months ago, uh, specifically for foreign fighters. They've already, significant number of them have already left the, the town. And in addition to that, you also now have a significant factor, which is the population have turned against ISIS. So they are no longer uh, sort of uh, accommodating for them, and they are looking forward to support. So for example, we had issues that we couldn't talk to the people in the cities because of jams. Uh, now they have removed these uh, uh, mobile phone jams, cell phone jams, and therefore you can talk to the people over there and get a better sense. And also for us, the trying to liberate the town from the various damage, from the various size, from the northeast and, and west, means, sorry, not north, south, and west, does mean that uh, we have a better sense uh, and we already liberated some of the major Christian towns in, 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 this, in the surrounding of Mosul city center. So to that effect, I think I'm not uh, what you might call as worried as I was a few months ago because I know that we have a, a game changer in people standing with us, internal Muslim people standing with us. But at the same time, my concern is Daesh ISIS does not have regard for human lives, nor for property and infrastructure. And to that effect, they wouldn't mind using any method they can, human shields or destruction of properties as they have done elsewhere. Mm -hmm. To me, that's where the tenaciousness of the fighting, the viciousness of the fighting will, will, will be. But the Iraqis have already made their mind in other fight in other battles before, where the Tikrit and others, where we wanted minimum destruction of properties and minimum uh, destructions of human lives. And therefore, we do take our time and go inch by inch in liberating it. But that won't That's, be... 
that's an Iraqi decision because these are citizens of Iraq. Mm-hmm. That we are not an occupying force, nor it's an invading force. This yeah. is citizens of the country, and we are liberating them uh, from the shackles of ISIS. Ambassador, thank you so much for your time. What we will do is to stay in touch with you and talk with you again soon about this. And would be delighted. I wish you and the American people the best in, in the election. Well, thank you so much. Former Iraqi Ambassador Luke Manfaili, he says Iraq and Syria are involved in a very difficult fight against the Islamic State group. It's a global challenge that will not soon go away, even after the Islamic State group is no more. And speaking of challenges, coming up on our next episode, the U.S. has a brand new president-elect, Donald Trump. And he had some issues with the intelligence community during the campaign. And a former CIA director says those issues may prove to be a big challenge for Mr. Trump moving ahead. The the candidate stood there on the stage during one of the later debates and and simply refused to agree that the Russians had done the hacking into the DNC emails and had used the information to affect the American political process. He just said nobody knows in the face of a high-confidence judgment from the American intelligence community that they did know that the Russians did it. Oh, look, JJ, I've got enough history in this. I know that the IC, the intelligence community, can get it wrong. But you don't get to throw away their judgments without some sort of contrarian facts. You don't get to throw away their judgments just because they're inconvenient. That's coming up on our next episode. I'm JJ Green, and this is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. Do you like scary radio dramas? Tune into Fangoria's Dread Time Stories, fully dramatized horror stories hosted by Malcolm McDowell. Irony is only one small ingredient of these Dread Time Stories. Hear a new episode every other week on the Podcast One app, iTunes, and PodcastOne.com.